All right, folks, welcome to Buckmaster's Outdoors Podcast. I'm with my old hunting and fishing buddy, the legendary Chris Hastings. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, you know what? This this hunting, fishing, cooking is really catching on across the country, isn't it? It's really a big deal. You know, the outdoors folks are in love to cook and gather yeah. and together, and I'm a professional chef. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a, a match made in heaven. How did you, I mean, you know, everybody had different, you know, career paths and stuff. What got you on the cooking side? You know, it was interesting. I was in high school. I was uh, a junior and started in a restaurant and worked there through my senior year. And I had applied for App State. Uh, I lived in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. So I was going to go to Appalachian State. And then my my mother got cancer and died. So I took a gap year. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm going into year three of my time being at that restaurant, and when my mother passed away, um, but the chef said, nope, you're no longer a busboy, you're no longer a dishwasher, you're no longer, you know, the Swiss Army knife of the restaurant that can do anything. You're going you're gonna to get in the kitchen with me, you're going to put your cutting board next to my cutting board, and I'm going to teach you how to cook, and in a year from now, when you've got to make a decision of whether to go to App- App- Appalachian State or to go to culinary school, you know, you'll, you'll make that decision. And so, as it turned out, um, you know, he, he had been kind of mentoring me f- pre- throughout the previous year, uh-huh. and he saw something in me that I didn't even know was there. And, you know, by the end of that year, you know, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, you know what, um, I'm going to apply to Johnson & Wales, which was his alma mater. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in Providence, Rhode Island. At that point, I hadn't been north of Washington, D.C., in my life really yeah and so i was off to jumped on a train in charlotte north carolina went to johnson wills a you know four-year culinary program and and management program and got off that train in providence rhode island of all places and you know went about the business of learning how to be a chef and learning how to be a restaurateur and uh you know it's very serendipitous and how you know strange life is and how it mm-hmm. carries you down a road that you, you may have never dreamt of mm-hmm. under a different circumstance. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, you know, funny. Well, it's probably looking at it as like, God, that was like yesterday to you probably. God. Well, Time flies, doesn't it? It really does fly. I mean, I've been doing, I'm 59. I started cooking when I was 18. What is that, 30, 30 yeah. years? Yeah. 31 years? Well, you're, you're a legend out there. And, you know, I see the Iron Chef deal and the James Beard Award. Talk to me a little bit about that because that's, that's your major competitions that really puts you in the limelight of separating you from the pack, right? Well, yeah, and they're, and they're two different kind of things. The, 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 the James Beard Foundation, which created the James Beard Awards, mm-hmm. and what they have done for many, many years is they would, they would have an annual award ceremony in New York City um, in Carnegie Hall, and you know it was always the for if you were an aspiring professional chef you always wanted to win a james beard award that that is the highest honor in the professional cooking uh amongst professional chefs and i won the best chef in the south in 2012 well the 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 iron chef america is completely different deal it's um it's um a TV show mm-hmm. um, and you know the Food Network purchased the rights from there was Iron Chef was originally in Japan uh-huh. and it was beamed over to the States and you'd have to watch it and it would be subtitled 
all in Japanese, but you read subtitled in English. And everybody, all the chefs in America were enamored with that. Well, the Food Network, in its infancy, decided that they wanted to buy the rights to do Iron Chef America. Uh-huh. And so they formed the same format. It was a cooking, you know, chef against chef, a mano a mano, right. one hour. You, you, you did the, you did the whole thing, and it became a cult deal. I mean, yeah. Iron Chef America to this day um, is is watched. A million uh, people play that my my uh, battle sh- uh, battle sausage yeah. against Bobby Flay. Every time it's it's aired, a million people watch it. The first really? time it was aired yeah. in two thousand and twelve, it's been on the air continuously on a loop with all of the classic Iron Chef America shows. And so it keeps our brand alive. And so many people watch that. There's kind of the- So you're like in syndication forever yeah, on that. Yeah, and, and I don't get paid. <laughs> but uh, you know- that, But it's your best form of advertising. It sure right? is, there's no question about it. When a million people can see you whooping up on Bobby Flay, yeah. uh, you know, and winning. Yeah. And um, at that time I was the first Southern chef to, 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 to beat an Iron Chef. Really? And that was a big deal. Yeah. And boy, people from all around the South, they'd come hug me and say, yeah. I didn't know, I'd be in an airport, I'd be in yeah. a city, and they'd recognize me and go, you know, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And this is, you know, the, the Beard Award is a very prestigious, right. you know, hoity-toity big deal award. Iron Chef America is like everybody in America watches yeah. it, and it's just different. A lot of people don't know about the James Beard Foundation and the James Beard Award, you yeah. know, that watch Iron Chef America necessarily. And so people all over the country, I have people sent me letters. They hug me crying that, you know, thank yeah. you for making the South look like, yeah. you know, we were legit, we're legit and we don't, you know, everybody thinks we're a bunch of dodo birds and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it was really. We it, just talk a little different. That's all. <laughs> we're a little slower. We talk a little different. We talk a little different. That's right. Well, congratulations, because like I said, I didn't, I didn't meet you to, for, uh, you know, you and I went quail hunting, uh, you know, last fall. But, you know, it was so funny because my son's 36, uh, Jackie, and Ann Tyler's 30. And I mentioned, I said, hey, I'm talking to this chef guy named Chris Hastings. Well, you're, you're a rock star in their little world because their little age group. I mean, we've always had supper club, you know, growing up. Right. Okay, we cook for This little age group, when they have supper club, it's a big deal. Yeah. They got their cookers. They got their recipes. I mean, it, everybody's participating. It's a big sharing, deal. They spend yeah. untold amounts of email and phone call exchanges setting yeah. up that supper club. Yeah. Who's going to handle the wine? Who's right. going to handle the, you know, the first course? Who's going to who's yeah. going to bring dessert or who's going to yeah. bring dessert? You know, what, what's the cool bourbon we're going to have? You know, this time. Yeah, and that's what, that's what amazed me. My kids are into it. Yeah, and, and they knew, they knew who I was. Absolutely. Yeah, because that generation, that, those young people are wildly into food. Yes, when sir. I was, you know, young, I mean, before I even thought about, you know, going to culinary school, there was no kind of real wide open American food scene. It hadn't been born yet. Right. It was born in the 80s mm-hmm. um, with, you know, Julia Childs and James Beard and, you know, uh, a number of uh, Wolfgang Puck and uh, Mark Millet. It goes a bunch of chefs that most people wouldn't know, but um, it's, it's uh, you know, now it's all the rage. And, yeah. and, you know, it's a big deal. Well, I was amazed. I, like I said, when I brought your name up to both my kids, I was going, oh, yeah, he's, he's the man. Well, let's talk a little bit about this because your restaurants are hot and hot. And hot and hot fish club and oven bird. And oven bird. How do you go, and, and like I said, you're preparing meals all the time. Yep, day in, day out. But you're an outdoorsman. That's correct. What is the biggest difference in preparing outdoor game compared to just regular meals and stuff? 
because that's a great crossover. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, and and those two worlds collide for me. The my passion for hunting and fishing, and my passion for cooking, and the um, so. You know, you, you you kill a turkey, or you shoot a quail, or you shoot a deer, or you kill a, a moose, or you know, catch a redfish, or you know, gig a flounder, whatever, right? In the, mm-hmm. in the out of doors, okay. Right. Um, the fish is a little bit similar. You know, it's it's the you know it's a it's a fresh fish. You know how to do it. But if you shoot and kill a moose, or a woodcock, or a grouse, or a quail, or a turkey. Or deer, you know that's that's a little bit different. It's mm-hmm. it's game meat. It's freshly killed. I like to I like to age and hang my my mm-hmm. my uh, birds and meat. Um, you know all of it. And you know I, I like to make sure that it's it's cooked correctly because what I find mostly happens with out, uh, people who cook game um, don't know how to cook it. They right. tend to not not let it not let it age a little bit and mellow out and let the muscles relax and and all that. They tend to over season it and you know put all kinds of marinades and rubs on it and everything. I find game wildly simple and easy to cook, but I, I, I cook it less by a, a lot less. Mm-hmm. Like most of the game I cook, whether it's duck or venison or moose or you know, woodcock, grouse, quail, it's it's, it's got a little pink to it. Now oh, yeah. in the case of duck and you know red meated, yeah. you know, you know, animals, it's rare. Right. Rare to and it, no more than the rare side of medium, you know, because I, I can't, you can't cook it, you know, or the, the, the rare side of medium rare is the way, no more cooked than that. Because mm-hmm. once you tip into, you know, mid rare or t- towards medium, it changes the flavor um, and it just, it's, it's just not as good. And um, it's interesting you said that because, I mean, I like my steaks, right? I like it. I like rare. Yes, but I, you know that's the first I've ever heard that you need to cook wild game a little bit more on the rare side. Absolutely, I'm already doing it anyway because that's the way I like it. Right, but a lot of people overcook it, and and it's 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 wildly um, perplexing. Uh-huh. And for me, I keep it real simple: salt, pepper, uh, olive oil, a little bit of fresh thyme. It's kind of my go-to, um, and a special what I call a a, a butcher salt. Mm-hmm. That's that's got uh, it's salt that's ground with garlic and a little bit of red chilies and a little, some fresh herbs and that's it and that, that's that's it that's mm-hmm. it a grill or saute it and or roast it in the oven and let the game be the game the woodcock should taste like a woodcock the moose should taste like a moose mm-hmm. grouse should taste like a grouse a quail should taste like a quail turkey should taste like a turkey now those the, all those different meats need, need more or less trimming right because as an example turkey has got that very thin uh, very uh, tough Thin layer uh, that you've got to t- cut completely off, and and, and um, trim it, and then um, again that 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 bird has got to be undercooked. And you and you know you probably notice how the the grain runs on a turkey breast. Mm-hmm. If you cut with that grain instead of against that grain, right. it, you might as well be eating shoe leather. Let's talk about this on the turkeys. Is that these kids now they're frying turkey? Now, folks have been frying turkeys for a long time. See, I just never heard of that. Yeah. I mean, every year probably about 10,000 double wides get burnt down because because they're, you know, you know, frying a turkey on the porch behind a double wide and and they put too much oil in it and get it too hot, then they drop a turkey in there and it explodes and goes and just right. it's a grease fire. Yeah. And it just woof, it's it's gone. And uh, you know, and and that happens all the time. 
And, but I just but, didn't know you fried turkeys. I mean, you, you we, can, yeah, yeah. And, and it's wildly delicious because it's the cook time shorter. It is super tender and super moist, oh. and and it's easy. You know, I think baking a turkey, particularly if it's got dressing or stuffing in it or whatever, people overcook it, they undercook it. it it's you know, it's how many dry Thanksgiving turkeys have we we all you know run yeah. into at Bmalls or you know some some friend's house or whatever, and, but and. I like frying a turkey, but I still do a traditional stuffed gotcha. turkey for Thanksgiving. Gotcha. But frying the turkeys is a great way to do it. You yeah. you have to understand it, how to do it correctly. There's, yeah. there's some things you need to do correctly. You don't want it to be wet. Uh-huh. You, you want to probably, you know, you want to seize it and dry it real good. And then, you know, let it come to room temperature. Uh-huh. You got to get the oil level just right in the, in the, in the, uh, the pot you're going to fry it in. And, and don't get too much, but you know, don't get too little either. And there's a, they sell they sell turkey fryers now with a don't exceed. Oh, I got. You. Don't exceed so a. Cause that's it, a dangerous cooking. Oh cooking yeah. Cooking fried turkey is dangerous, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm with you. And okay. so, and the temperature is very wildly important, and the oil is wildly important. You don't get an oil that you need a high smoke point. Right. You know where you get that temperature up and fry it just right. And it's, it's real quick, and man, the the end result is crazy good. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite, and you know, just traveling and hunting and stuff, has always been elk. I, I, oh, I think it's the best. One of the best of the best. You, a lot of people argue, you know, moose over elk. Yeah. Um, but I, I think elk is the, the top of the top. I remember I brought it to our wild game supper at our church. And see, we had all the little old blue haired ladies there. So we didn't really put out elk or deer or any of that. We just put out red meat. Yeah, we just put out meat. And we just said, oh, those are, that's tenderloin right there. But we had some that had fried quail and stuff, just so they wouldn't know. Right. They couldn't get enough, and they said, that was a wonderful tenderloin. I said, well, ma'am, that was a elk tenderloin. Right. And they just looked at each other and said, well, that's the best I've ever had. Yeah. And um, Well, that's, again, back to our original you know, yeah. comment about people are freaked out by game. If yeah. you told them it was elk, they wouldn't have touched it. I know. And then if you fool them real quickly, and then they put it in their mouth, they go, holy yeah, you know that is the best thing I've ever eaten out in my life, and you cooked it correctly. Yes, rare. Yes, and uh, you know, had you cooked it to medium, it would not be the same. Yeah, and they may or may not have liked it. I don't know, but I would not have liked it. But you know, so. Well, we noticed that. Like I said, I, that was interesting to watch folks that I knew. My mother, my mother would never eat wild game, and at any time or anything. And I did. I fixed her a deer loin, and told her it was a beef loin. Right. And when she got through eating it, she said, did you get that over at so-and-so? I said, right. no, I got that out of my freezer. So, <laughs> and she said, you tricked me. I said, Mom, I've been trying to tell you it's pretty good. I had to trick you. I did notice one thing, though, like on the on the tenderloins on the on the deer. If you did not cut that white membrane off and just have meat on fire, that was the that was the difference change of the way I could taste. Now, you might know more a little bit than me. Yeah. I, I didn't have the wild taste, but when you left the that white kind of veiny stuff on it, you, you had a wilder taste to it. Yeah, that's called the silver skin. Okay. It, and what it is, it's a part of the, you know, um, there's a, I'm sure, a scientific name for it. It, it holds that muscle right. around. It's like around, a membrane around Yeah, it. kind of an extension of the bone. Right. But it's a soft, soft, but very firm thing. And... Uh, and it's tough, super tough, and it's got a, a, a flavor that you, you want to trim off. Not, not so much on beef tenderloin. You do want to trim it off beef tenderloin because it's tough, but you're right. It's a little gamier, and then you also notice if you grill it with that on there, it curls up because mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of shrinks. You right. Know, and it kind of it, it doesn't lay evenly on the grill, and so you definitely want to cut that 
silver skin off for sure. Gotcha. All right, I know you got a cookbook and got a lot of other things going on. Talk to me about a little bit about that. Yeah, we're we've got a lot going on. You're right. We 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 produced a cookbook in 2012, um, and it's been wildly popular and successful. We're still selling to this day, all day, every day, and people love it. It's a very simple cookbook. I actually I, I fashioned the the cookbook after one of my favorite uh, outdoor books. It's called um, The Old Man and the Boy, mm-hmm. and it's a great read because you know this. This boy kind of didn't have a relationship with his dad in the outdoors, and his grandfather wanted him to have a relationship in the outdoors. So the book is written about the grandfather and the father, or excuse me, the grandfather and the little boy, and how each month of the year they wrote a chapter about January, February, March, April, went through the whole entire year. Uh-huh. And it's this wonderful story about living seasonally, living in the moment of the outdoors, learning how to, you know, hunt ducks in January and, you know, uh, you know, get, 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 you know, get ready for, uh, you know, turkey season in, in February. And then there's March and April for turkey. And then you move into, you know, then you move into this fishing in the summertime and then, you know, the quail and the, you know, and I go through all of that and dove hunting and, you know, it's just a beautifully written book. And I said, you know, I cook like that. I'm an, I'm an outdoorsman and I hunt and fish like that book is written, uh-huh. but I also cook like that book is written. I, right. I, I, I live seasonally, so, you know, I'm not buying heirloom tomatoes in January. I'm buying right. root vegetables. I'm not, I'm not, you know, serving, you know, peach and blackberry cobbler, you know, in December because there are no good locally grown, ripe, ripe, ripe off the vine peaches and blackberries. Now, you mm-hmm. can get them from South America or, you know, wherever, Mexico or whatever, but they don't taste the same. Mm-hmm. And they got a huge carbon footprint, which is a problem. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's it, my outdoor life in terms of my, my, my joy and passion for the outdoors and my professional cooking life and the way I season, it, you know, I, I live seasonally mm-hmm. and buy only the best local products within the season. So that's, that's where we tied our cookbook uh, in with, with, with my outdoor life and my professional life. Gotcha. And uh, it's, it's, it's really the way I live and, and cook professionally. That's, I, I don't know how to do it any other way, frankly. I'm not going to be the guy that says, well, I'm going to serve this one dish um, every single day, no matter what. And let's say it's a, a dish that's a tomato dish. Well, you can't do that. I mean, you can't serve a tomato salad year-round and get good tomatoes. You just mm-hmm. can't. And right. so... But you could, you know, you can do certain things year-round, but I don't know. I just much prefer, it, it also gives me an outlet for creativity year in and year out. Mm-hmm. I keep evolving my thinking and, you know, doing new dishes. But, you know, it's, it's, um, it's worked very well because we've had that, the Hot Dog Fish Club has been around for 27 years. Has you know? it been that long? Wow. Yeah, 1995. Now, you know, somebody's listening to the podcast that they might not be in the Birmingham area, but they're coming into the Birmingham area. How do they get to your restaurants? Where are they? Uh, we're on both Ovenbird and Hot and Hot Fish Club are at Pepper Place, so that's over there near Sloss Furnace, and it's where the big farmers market is. Uh, you know, each Saturday, it's a great little neighborhood, wonderful place, mm-hmm. um, and the two restaurants are blocked from each other. And um, you can you know go online and make a reservation or call. The, you know, at both. What's the difference in Hot and Hot and Ovenbird? So Ovenbird is the only other restaurant I ever wanted to do other than Hot and Hot. I'm a giant fan of uh, a chef named Francis Malman. Uh, he's um, 
uh, uh, lives in Uruguay, Uruguay and mm -hmm. has had restaurants in Uruguay and Argentina. And he's, he's known all over South America. He is the granddaddy of all chefs in South America. And he's all wood. He, he, he is an all wood cooking guy. Mm -hmm. And as an outdoorsman, I knew how to build a fire from a very young age. I knew how to cook over a fire from a very young age. And I was very comfortable around fire. And this notion of, let's say, having a restaurant that didn't have a gas line, okay, you just built fires every day and you use ash and coal and wood and, mm -hmm. and all kinds of different ways to produce different flavors and textures. Wildly comfortable with that whole idea. Now, for the average cook or somebody who wants to cook over a fire, you have to understand it's not a knob. You don't go turn it to 500 degrees and it stays there. Or, you know, it's like a gas stove. You don't turn it on, it's high flame or medium flame or low flame. A fire is always in flux. It's either coming up or going down. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a rhythm and an intimacy with, with that fire and the, the temperature and your ability to control that temperature. Because good cooking is all about temperature control. So you have, to be, you have to be wildly aware and understand how that, that fire is burning and what you're trying to achieve with that fire and, and nurture it and tend to it constantly. And it's it's a, it's a wonderful way to cook. It's yeah. I, I really love it. So are your menus different? Yes, we okay. have the um, our our we our oven bird is a small plate format, meaning it's kind of not like tapas like you would do in Spain, but it's all like appetizer portion. So if let's say you 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 and your wife and my wife and I we're all going to oven bird. Well, we have the menu. We look it over, and we may order for the first round of plates maybe six plates of food, and. Then, you know, we'd all, you know, just pass them around and share them and talk about them and all that. Oh, okay. And, and then we go to the next round of food, uh -huh. and we probably get four or five more plates. And then, you know, you keep, keep doing that until you say, okay, you're tapping out. Now, some people, you know, it's a great format if you want to try different things. Instead of going appetizer, entree, I'll have my check, please. Or mm -hmm. appetizer, entree, dessert, I'll have my check, please. You know, like hot and hot. This way you can really kind of taste a lot of different things, especially if you're comfortable with, you know, sharing and passing around with friends and, you know, all that. Some people don't like to eat off somebody else's plate, mm -hmm. but, but, but young people really, really love it. Dove Bird was born out of not only me wanting to do wood-burning cooking in a wood-burning restaurant, um, but also I wanted to give young people access to our brand in a more affordable price point. So. Our ticket average at, at Hot and Hot is around $100, you know, per person, and at Oven Burst, like 40. And so now that depends on your alcohol tax. But if let's say you're a young person just out of college and you've got a, you know, new job and you're making, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, you're not going to Hot and Hot Fish Club. But you want, you want to food. The food, in, you know, food scene is so hot. So everybody wants to go to great cool restaurants and bars and try new things. And everybody's wildly curious about food. You know, that gives everybody, you know, in, the, 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 in that younger age group, there's wildly foodies. They're wildly passionate about food and big time foodies. Read about food, do the supper clubs, all that kind of stuff. And they they have access to my thinking and our restaurant and our brand and our how we, how we function as a business. You know, the, the attention to detail is just as important at both restaurants. Great service, you know, great wine program, great bar program super delicious food, very different formats and price points. So for us, it's a great way to kind of bring people into our thinking and our brand at an affordable uh, price point, and it's been great. Well, that's awesome. 
All right, and if somebody wants one of your cookbooks, how do they get a cookbook? You can go to, of course, Amazon. Uh, you can call the restaurant, and we've got plenty of them in uh, stock at all times. You can order them off of our website or call the restaurant. I'll be more than happy to personalize it and mail it to you. And, um, and then it's harder to find in small bookstores anymore um, uh, because it's been so long. It's 2012. Yeah, that was a decade ago. So, um, but, but people do still carry it in their bookstores. Uh, oh, cool. And, but, you know, you can get anything on Amazon. So, um, or it's easiest just to, you know, let, go, go straight to us and, and uh, call us up. And we'll, if you want to give it as a gift or have it for your cookbook library, I'll send you a little note or, or personalize it and sign it. And okay. It's, been, it's, it's good. It's a great cookbook. All right. Well, you and I are working on some projects. Yes, we, we are. don't have Mr. them all Bushman. nailed yet, but we're getting ready to. We, we're going to do some hunting and fishing, and you know, hope the folks soon will be able to tell you some things we got going. So, but your biggest challenge, okay? You're Iron Chef, all these big awards, but you've never probably been able to teach somebody like me, an old redneck, that's just a fast food guy, okay? No. I'm just a meat potato salad guy, and I call it a day. You think you can switch me over into this fancy? lifestyle of food my wife looks all of it i just they they're embarrassed to go to a restaurant with me. that's how embarrassed they are you go oh dad's just gonna he's gonna want iceberg lettuce with french dressing uh, of oh, yeah. corn on the cob and a steak that's all he wants so you're that guy i'm that guy i've got in you know, my all my restaurants have a sheet on like the jackie bushman sheet like okay <laughs> here's this this old codger you can recognize him right out of the gate he's he's you know six year above He's, he's going to want, you know, he doesn't want his food touching. Like if he orders a steak and a potato and some green, yeah. something green, and they can't touch. He wants their steaks <laughs> yeah. cooked, you know, yeah. however they want their steak cooked, usually overcooked, and, and, they're, and, and they don't, you know, they're, it's, you're not going to do any, anything crazy. You're not yeah. going to order, no. um, you know. No, I order the same thing every at time. the same restaurant every time for 40-something years. That's just me. But that's okay. Well, I think, that's your challenge. I think, I think it'll be a heavy lift for me, arguably the, the biggest <laughs> challenge of my life. But I'm up for it. I think, that, okay. I think you know, we're going to do a little cooking tonight. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're going to shake a pan and, yeah. you, know, learn, you know, learn a little something together. Yes. And we're going to hopefully, you know, teach some folks on the Jackie Bushman show yeah. how to cook some fish from yeah. our fishing yeah. trip here in Cogadry. That's right. And, We've uh, had a lot of fun down here. a lot of fish. And this has been kind of your little lifestyle. I've done a lot of offshore fishing, but this first time I've gone inshore. We've had fun here in, in Cocotree, Louisiana, Cocotree Charters, and we've caught a bunch of fish. Now in a little while, you're going to start cooking, and then the chef of the decade, Chef Boy R. Buckmaster, is going to show you some of his talents. Yes, okay? I think you're the Jeff Foxworthy Redneck Yeah, I went to Jeff Foxworthy. Uh, it was Redneck Cooking Camp, and I, I really learned a lot. Jeff <laughs> brings a lot of talent to the table, and it's for folks like me that like fast food. Well, how did that go for you? I think it went real good, and I'll be showing you tonight some of my techniques. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see We'll see if we can both learn a little something. How about that? Absolutely. Well, hey, thanks for being on today's podcast. As I said, we look forward to doing a lot of hunting and fishing and some cool stuff. Folks, we'll be able to bring you up to date a little bit more once we get it all finalized. But, again, thanks for being on the show. Folks, that does it for this week. That's uh, our Buckmasters Outdoors podcast. Y'all check with us next week. We have another great guest. Mm-hmm.